Hey, good morning, church. It's great to see you guys. Those of you that are joining us online over in the sanctuary and those of you up at True Worth, everybody that's here, it's great to be here with you guys. Just a quick little fun fact about me. Typically on any weekend that you're here, chances are you're going to find me here. I, it, I don't miss very much. I love being here on the weekend because I, I love being here with you guys. I love getting to worship with you. I love getting to serve with you. You're a lot of fun. And I, I hope you get the same sort of satisfaction out of being together in this body. So um, before we dive in, I just want to ask a question. Raise your hand if you know what's significant about the first weekend in November. You don't have to say it, but just raise your hand if you know First weekend in November, yes, 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 okay, all right. Some of you know. All right, when I was a kid, the first weekend in November, that was cooler than Christmas for me. Like, I could not wait till that first weekend in November. And in case you don't know, that's opening weekend of deer season. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just, that's, in the Bohan family, that, that's the biggest holiday. And I, I have such vivid hunting stories from, from that weekend growing up. I remember that Friday of, of opening weekend, I'd be in elementary school. I was, I was completely useless in school because I'd just be, I'd be staring at the clock waiting for that last bell to ring because as soon as it did, I'd run outside with my brothers and my cousins and my aunt would pick us up. We'd pack our bags and we head out to Comanche to our deer lease. And we'd usually get there right around sunset. And man, this has been years ago. But I have such a clear picture of my, of my mind of what this looked like. We'd get there, and uh, I, can, I can see the campsite, the campfire in the center, all of the, the campers and the tents that, that made a circle around it. My granddad and my uncles, they'd be in a makeshift kitchen making dinner. They'd be deep-frying fish, deep-frying french fries, <laughs> deep-frying biscuits. We Bohans were known for a lot of things. We were known for our love of the outdoors. We were not known for our healthy diets. <laughs> Everything was deep fried at deer camp. And then while this is going on, my brothers and my cousins, they'd be around the camp for having these discussions that bordered on arguments on who was going to get to hunt where the next morning. Because we all had our favorite hunting spots, so we all wanted to make sure we called dibs early on. And then at some point in the night, I'd grab my guitar and I'd start playing, and my granddad, he would request the same five John Conley tunes that he did the year ago. And it was just something that we all knew to expect. But here's what's interesting about this story is I'm, I'm telling you my favorite hunting story, and at no point am I telling you anything at all about the hunt. You see, I've got a lot of really good hunting stories, but what made this such a great memory for me, what made it so clear for me it wasn't the actual hunt. It was the fact that my whole family was there together. Like, that's what made it special. Family that I hadn't seen in a couple of months, I knew opening weekend at deer camp, I'd see them there. That's what made it so cool, my family being there together. So today, we're beginning a new series. We can do more together. And what I hope we can do, I hope we can walk away today with a more passionate appreciation of why we gather here as the body of Christ for weekend worship. That we see this as an opportunity to see what God's up to. We see it as an opportunity for us to be a part of it. We see it as an opportunity for us to get to learn about other people and, and join them in their journeys. 
And we see this as an opportunity to gather and together experience the presence of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that before any of us woke up this morning, you have been here. You have been here waiting for us with anticipation. You've been here preparing a place for us to gather to worship you. So, Father, we thank you for going before us. We thank you for being here with us. And we pray that we are receptive to what you tell us today, that we are receptive to what your calling is for us today, and that we can move where you lead. In your son's name, amen. Hey, we're going to hand out some Bibles. If you need one, just raise your hand. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if you were here throughout the summer, you know we just... We just finished uh, our work in, in uh, Colossians. And so this letter, 1 Corinthians, it's another letter by the same author. It's written by Paul. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be here. So I want to give you just a really quick, high-level overview about this context that we're dealing with, about Corinth. So Corinth was known as Sin City. So it's sort of like an ancient Las Vegas and part of it had to do with because of where it was located. So if you look on the map here, you'll see bottom left hand of the screen, this is the Mediterranean. So tucked away is, is Corinth. So it's just far enough away from the big seas that the ships could come in and be protected from the storms. And so because of that, Corinth was really known for trade and wealth and commerce. But that was about it. It didn't really have a cultural identity. Like you think about Texas, Texas has a cultural identity. You hear Texas and some clear pictures come to mind. Same thing with New York, California, France, Italy, all of these things, Philadelphia. Um, but but <laughs> Corinth, they didn't have that. They were largely superficial, culturally speaking. They were, they were known for, for wealth, for trade, for commerce, and they were known for not being very nice to the poor. And there's no middle class at this point. So the Corinthian church, this is the church that Paul had established just a few years before he wrote this letter. And the church was plagued with some of the same issues that the city was. They were, they were a divided congregation. Some were wealthy, some were poor. Some were Greek, some were Jewish. Their problem, however, it wasn't these differences. Their problem was that they allowed these differences to keep them separated from each other. And so Paul writes this letter to remind them why they are a church. He writes a letter to remind them what does it mean to be the church, why it's important for them to all be together as a church. So I want to pick up there at the beginning of uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So what's Paul saying here? Like he's saying, look, you're called to be the church, but you're not acting like it. 
Like there's, there's jealousy among you. There's strife. There's pride. There's arrogance. You're, you're taking what the outside culture tells you, and you're bringing it into the church, and it's tearing you apart. And they had, they had different teachers. And like in many other churches, this church, they have different teachers that would come in for a season and leave. And then here, Paul mentions himself, and he mentions Apollos. And so what the Corinthian church had done was you had some in the church that were team Paul, and some were team Apollos. And what Paul says is, look, what you're doing, this is foolish. Look, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Look, we are nothing. It's God who accomplishes the work through us. I did something. Apollos did something. But it was God who made it into something real. Paul's given the church a reality check. In your sermon notes, what happens when we worship together? Number one, we experience humility. Now, that's a fun word, isn't it? Humility. Everybody likes that word, right? Raise your hand if you like humility. Nobody does. Well, she does. Not very many else. It's not a fun word, but it's a necessary word. You see, when we gather for worship, God doesn't give us necessarily what we think we want. But God does give us what we need. So I recently began looking into the art of storytelling. Looking at the structures that different, different writers and filmmakers use to tell their stories. And in a lot of them, you have the hero of the story. The one who, who goes through a trial and comes out victorious in the end. And our culture, we, we obsess over these hero stories. We connect, we want to connect with the hero. And then we want to become our own heroes of our own stories. And that's sort of the issue that Paul is dealing with here in the church, that everybody is starring in their own movie. Everybody's playing the hero in their own story. Now, I'm not really a sci-fi fan, but I, I, I do like Star Wars. Now, if you can think back to the late 70s when the original Star Wars movies came out, who was the hero of the Star Wars? You know, somebody else said Han Solo, too. I, I think it's Skywalker, right? He was a good guy, right? Okay, we'll say it's Skywalker. Skywalker is, is the hero. Now, what's interesting about the hero story is that the hero is not the most important element of the hero story. There's actually another figure who's more critical. That figure is called the guide. The guide is the one who comes alongside the hero and helps them transform into victory. And so if you think about Skywalker... Who were his guides? Who were the people that guided him to victory? Obi-Wan and Yoda. They're the guy. Without, without Obi-Wan, without Yoda, Skywalker doesn't transform into the hero. The Empire wins. The rebellion is squelched. There's no return of the Jedi. The entire Star Wars franchise dies, and we miss out on the wonderful acting of Jar Jar Binks, right? <laughs> that doesn't sound like such a bad idea now, does it? So this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, when you gather as a church, you're not playing the hero in your story. You're coming to serve as a guide in somebody else's hero story. Like when we come together for worship, it's a chance to humble ourselves, to recognize that we aren't the center of our own universe, that God is. And it's a chance to play the guide in somebody else's hero story. Like if you're a parent, you know what this looks like, right? Right? When you become a parent, you're no longer the hero of your own story. You become the guide in your kids' hero story, helping them transform into victory. 
When we gather like this for worship, it's a calling to do the same thing with everybody else that we meet, to be the guide in somebody else's hero story. What would it look like for you when you come here on the weekend if instead of asking questions like this, hey, I wonder if I'm going to like the music today. I wonder if the song set is going to be what I, what I like. I wonder if I'm going to get fed today. Or how about this? <laughs> I wonder if Rick is going to be there to preach. <laughs> Don't lie. I know you asked that question. <laughs> it's okay. What if instead of asking those questions, though, we start asking questions like this? Hey, I wonder who I'm going to meet today. I wonder who I'm going to get to serve today. I wonder whose story am I going to hear today? Hey, I wonder whose day am I going to get to make better today? If you're not asking those sorts of questions when you come to worship, someday I hope you do. Because imagine how a community might change if people come looking to serve each other. You see, the divide in the Corinthian church, it was killing them. It was tearing them apart. They had a clear problem with pride. And so, so Paul reminds them, look, look, we're all here to serve. Who am I? Who are you? We, we're servants. That's who we are. That's what we do. That is our calling. It's God who does the work. But see, he doesn't stop there. I love Paul's logic here. See, I think a lot of us, we struggle with humility because we don't want people to know that we're weak. We don't want people to see us vulnerable. And so we mask our insecurities with our sense of bravado, with our strengths, the things that make us great, because we don't want people to know that we're weak. It's a matter of survival. But watch what Paul does. You follow his logic. He begins by challenging them not to boast in each other or different leaders, but to boast in God. What does he say next? Verse 8. He says, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. He says, look, Paul, just a worker. Apollos, just a worker. But God, God is the master builder. And you, you are God's masterpiece. You see, when we gather together for worship, and we're humbled by being in the presence of the Almighty, the Alpha, and the Omega, then, and only then, we experience and we understand gratitude. Gratitude is something the person full of pride is always going to struggle with. Because gratitude requires humility. And Paul's telling the church, hey, before you can understand gratitude, because you're a part of the body of Christ, you first need to understand humility. He's telling them they needed to stop with their personal jealousy issues. They needed to stop with taking sides or making allegiances with people or with movements. See, when we gather together on the weekend, if we don't come with a sense of humility, we don't experience gratitude. And then what are you left with? A bunch of people full of pride, with a sense of entitlement. But when we come with humility, then we experience gratitude. Then we begin to serve each other. 
What what does an entitled person bring to a community? Not much at all. But the grateful person, the grateful person comes looking to serve. Because the grateful person understands there's always something to be grateful for. You see, gratitude, it depends way more on your internal disposition than it does on your external circumstances. I want to put this another way. The grateful person is the one who chooses gratitude. There was a a boy named Dennis. He was born in the late 50s in Locksburg, Arkansas. And the circumstances of his early life, they weren't the best. He found himself on the streets fairly early on. And despite the prayers of his mom, he found himself having to make choices to survive. At the age of 15, he's in jail, struggling. And he says a prayer to God that God will somehow get him out of jail. His prayer is answered. And for a time, he's on the right path. But then he slips back in jail. Again, ask for that same prayer of deliverance. And he's released. And he slips. And he's back in jail. Says the prayer again. And the cycle continues. From the age of 15 to 21, Dennis finds himself in and out of jail. Until 21, this time, he's, he's not in jail. He's in the penitentiary. And he's serving a life sentence. More struggle. But as he's serving his life sentence, his prayer starts to change. It goes from, God, deliver me from this prison into, God, just be with me. God, let me know that you're here. God, help me to experience your peace while I'm in prison. God, I don't need you to deliver me from this external prison. I need you to deliver me from me. You see what Dennis is doing? He'd been humbled by his experience, and his prayer changes. It goes, he's not praying for something that once it happens, he will then be grateful. He's choosing gratitude in the moment. So fast forward a little bit. Two people, Dwayne and Danita. They, they start attending church, and as a part of their experience, they, they feel call, a calling into the prison ministry. And so they reach out to the church to find out what the church is doing. And they learn about writing letters to inmates. So Dwayne and Danita, they start writing letters to inmates. Letters that remind these inmates that they have value. Letters that remind these inmates that, look, you're not alone. We are with you. Letters that remind them, hey, you are a child of God. Dwayne and Danita, they continue to pour into these people. Even when these people slip up, they get out of jail, and they mess up, and they're back in jail, Dwayne and Danita, they continue to pour into them. Because, you see, that's how grace works, right? So Dennis, he receives one of these letters. A letter from Dwayne and Danita saying, hey, we want to be with you on your journey. Dennis, you're not alone. And so Dennis, he he gets the opportunity to be a part of this program that if he follows through, he can be released. 
And Dennis takes full advantage of that opportunity, and he is faithful through the process. After he's released, Dwayne and Danita, they reach out to him. And they say, hey, Dennis, why don't you come to church with us? We'll come by and pick you up. So Dennis, a bit apprehensive, he accepts the invitation. Because he's still carrying the shame and the guilt of his past. But while he's at church, he meets another woman named Dot. Now, Dot knows about his past, and she welcomes him anyway. And at the end of the service, Dot says, hey, why don't you come back to church next week? Think about how that must have felt for Dennis. 40 years of being told, you're not welcome. 40 years of carrying that shame and the guilt. 40 years of being alone, 40 years of being in isolation. After all of that, to be invited to church by two people. And then after that, invited back by somebody else. You see, when we welcome people here, we invite them to no longer live in the shame of their past mistakes. Instead, we invite them to live in the promise of the future that God has for them. Dennis goes from living a life of shame and guilt to living a life of gratitude. And it changes everything. That's why we worship together. Guess what? Every Sunday, Dennis doesn't miss church. Dennis is here every Sunday. Why? Because Dennis is grateful. Dennis, when I got to visit with you this week and hear your story, you didn't know what I was going to say. You didn't know what words I was planning on using. I counted over 10 times in about a 30-minute period, you used the word grateful and gratitude. So thank you, Dennis, for teaching me what gratitude looks like. And Dwayne, Danita, thank you both for teaching me what grace looks like, what it means to be the church all day, every day. Thank you all. Don't you want to be a part of a community like that, a community that welcomes everybody? So when we worship together, when we collectively come with a sense of humility and we choose gratitude, God does something that only God can do. I want to pick up there at verse 16. Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, I'm sure we've heard these verses before, and usually when we hear them, they're used as a reason to keep your body physically healthy. Now, that's a good thing to do, but that's not really what Paul's saying here. He's saying something else. What's interesting about these verses, all of the yous, you are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in you. You are that temple. All of those yous, guess what? They're plural. Here's why that's important. He's not just saying that your body is the temple, and your body is the temple, and your body is the temple, and your body is the temple. What he's saying is that your body, all of you, your body is the temple. Look, when we gather here, we collectively form the body of Christ, the visual expression of the presence of God within us. 
You see, your, your faith, it's not just an intimate, personal thing. Your faith is very much a communal thing. And when we worship together, God creates unity. Every weekend that we gather, there are stories going on that so many of us we're not even aware of. We each, we each have our own story. And in this place, we become a place of connection where all of these stories, they intertwine with each other. They inform, they enhance, they encourage, they lift up. You see, when you come with a sense of entitlement, you come looking to be served. But when you come with humility, when you come with gratitude, you come looking to help somebody else, listening to somebody else's story, finding ways to take your story and help stand in the gap for somebody else. And when we do this, when we stand in the gap for other people, what God does is he's creating this wonderful mosaic that we call the body of Christ, that we call the temple. Every weekend, this is going on. Every weekend we have these stories of unity. I want you to hear about PJ and Myrna's story. So PJ and Myrna, they have three kids. They have a 13-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. Now, Myrna's in the military, and she's getting deployed overseas. She's going to be gone from her family for seven months. So I want you to think about that, being gone from your kids for seven months. So PJ, her husband, he needs help. What does he do? He makes a commitment to bring his family to church every weekend so that he can invite others into his story that help guide him in the season. And so while he's here, Rick, he do, Rick does a sermon on prayer. And so what does PJ do? He starts writing prayer requests every week for his family and for his wife's safe return. Every week he does this. Every week. I know this because I read them every week. And every week it was a different prayer, prayer request. He was faithful in his prayer. He was faithful in bringing his, his family here. He was faithful at allowing us to come alongside of him. Now, I'm happy to announce that uh, a couple weeks ago, Myrna made it home safe. And they had a wonderful reunion as a family. I want you to check it out. Thank you. 
How cool is it to see something like that? And how cool is it that they chose this place to reunite? And why? Why did they choose this place to reunite? They did it because of you. Because you come here as well. You see, when you come here for worship, you help make this place home for all of us. You see, sometimes you're serving people and you don't even know it. PJ and Myrna, thank you very much for allowing us to be a part of this journey with you. Thank you very much. I think it's important to understand Paul's gospel. You see, Paul's gospel has everything to do with community, with being together. You can't live out the gospel in isolation. You just can't do it. And for Paul, division within the church on any ground is not okay. When, he, when the church was divided on, on Paul and Apollos, he wastes no time to point out, like, hey, we're all the same. We're all servants of Jesus. We all belong to each other. In verse 21, he says, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. There's no hierarchy. Everything in true community is flat. I invite you now to think about what are the, what are the issues in the room? What are the things in the room that keep us separated from each other? What are the issues? What are the policies? What are those things that keep us from being able to look at each other with grace? If Paul was here right now, he would say, hey, knock it off. Look, don't you get it? You all belong to each other. You're all a part of the body of Christ. Nobody gets to pick who's in or who's out. That's not your job. It's not for you to decide who's in and who's out. God chose everybody. It's your job to welcome them. It's your job to serve them. It's your job to love them. Look, we all serve the same God, period. You see, unity does not mean that we all have to have the same perspective or that we define our beliefs the same way. Quite the opposite. If you walk around, you call different, you ask different people at Pathway what they believe about this, this, or this, you're probably going to hear different answers because that's who we are. If you ask me, hey, Chris, what, what does Pathway believe in? What is the doctrine of Pathway? My response is going to be this. We believe in relationships over doctrine. That's what we believe. That's who we are. Whatever you believe, guess what? You're welcome here. Whatever you believe, hey, you can belong here. Don't you want to be a part of a community like that, a community that welcomes everybody, a community where everybody looks different from each other, a community that's filled with diversity, but yet finds a way to work through that and still be united together. Don't you want to be a part of a community like that? I know I do. Because you see, when we gather together for worship, God takes our diversity, what makes us unique, what makes us different, and God unifies it in worship. That's what happens when we gather together. Now, there's one more thing that I want to say about worship that I think is so important, and that's offering. We talk about offering every week, and we do that because of just how important it is. You see, when you, when you come here with a sense of humility, you experience gratitude, you experience unity, the next thing 
to do is to serve each other, to give to each other. So when we talk about offering, we're not just talking about the plates when they go by. We're talking about a genuine giving of yourself over to somebody else. To jump into somebody else's story and to figure out, how can I help guide this person? That, that's what offering's about. And you do this all the time, and you're creating victories for so many people. So I want to I share with you one of your victory stories. I've invited Tish to come on up here. Tish, come on up. Everybody say hi to Tish. So this is Tish Ross. She and I work together. And what you need to know about Tish is she's a lovely woman with a wonderful sense of humor and amazing patience because she has to deal with me and my stupid jokes every day, every morning. And she puts up with it. <laughs> Maybe they are stupid jokes, aren't they? <laughs> Uh, so, Tish, if you can, take everybody back. Let's go back to 2003. Just tell me a little bit about 2003. Sure. So, um, before I visited Pathway Church, um, I was married and um, seemed like a perfect life. Two kiddos and a dog. Everything was, was wonderful. Um, shortly thereafter, in May of 2003, I lost my parents. And then right after that, in June of 2003, um, my husband abandoned us. And he abandoned us in every way, shape, or form. He didn't um, provide financially. Um, he wasn't there spiritually. He was gone. Um, so then I heard about Pathway Church and um, came and, and brought my kiddos here, and we visited. Um, I shared with them, you know, what was going on and just asked you guys, you, to, to pray for my children and I. Um, it wasn't too long after I had visited the church that um, my ex-husband had called and he said, um, you know, look out the window, um, I've got a surprise for you, and he had um, our car towed, my car um, towed from the house. And there I am with a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to get to work. I was working very part-time, six hours out of the week, um, coaching gymnastics. And I'm thinking, what am, I, what am I going to do? How am I going to get my son to school? How am I going to get to work? So while this is going on, over here at Pathway, Rick has a vision. It's a vision of, of struggling families that, that have jobs, but they, they have an issue of transportation. They can't get to work. And so he comes before the body at weekend worship, and he says, look, this is going on. We have families in our community that are struggling, and it's not right. We need to do something about it. This is what I love about Pathway is that we don't stop with, hey, this isn't right. We follow it up with, okay, what are we going to do about it? And so from that moment, from that vision, this ministry called Cars for Christ is born. And it's where people of the church can donate their cars and the church takes care, makes sure that they're safe, and then they're given over to families who are in need, who, who have a job but can't find a way to get to work. Okay, so back into your story. So not being able to get to church, um, I called to share what was going on, really just to have um, you guys pray for my children and I. Um, while I was having that conversation, they um, mentioned that there was a Cars for Christ ministry. Um, I knew nothing about this ministry at all. Um, and they said that you can submit a letter, kind of let them know what was going on, and um, just kind of go from there. So I continued on. Um, I had garage sales to pay the mortgage. 
I pawned things to pay the electric bill, and I was still working and trying to get to work. Well, my children and I were praying. We were on our knees. I can remember um, beside our bed. We were praying together, and uh, we really were just asking God to help us um, to figure out what to do next. Um, I don't think we even thought about asking for a car because I knew no one. I had no family. I had nothing. And I thought, who gives you a car? You know, who's going to give me a car? Um, about three days before I was going to submit my resignation um, because I had exhausted my rides, I couldn't get to work, I received a phone call from um, Pastor Rick, and he said that my children and I had been awarded um, a car from the Cars for Christ ministry. Um, so from there, I um, called, got a ride here to pick up my car, and thought I'm going to go and surprise my son because he had been getting rides from other people. So I drive my car to the school, the elementary school. Again, he's just seven. And um, when I get there, I get up to the front door, and he said, um, Mommy, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I came to pick you up. And he said, um, how? So we walk out the door, and I said, in our car. And he said, we got a car? And again, in his seven-year-old voice, he's running down the sidewalk. I'm going to try to say this without crying. But he said, Mommy. God answers our prayers. And that was just, it was more than the car, man. For me, it was more than the car. My son saw the answer to prayer, and he immediately went home. Because of you guys, he immediately goes home and shares with his sister how good God is and that he answered our prayers. So So fast forward. To today, how has that act of generosity, how has that impacted your family moving forward? Oh gosh, your generosity has transformed our lives. For the rest of our lives, we, our, our path has changed. Um, my son now is 24 and he's a youth pastor. And my daughter serves here. And not, not just her kids, but if, if you come up here at all during the week, you know Tish because she's the face of Pathway. When you come here, she's the first person that you see. When you call, she's probably the person that's going to pick up the phone. And when you, when you see her, when you talk to her, what you experience is the same thing that I experience. I experience love. I experience grace. I experience mercy. I experience so many good things because of Tish. And she's there because of the generosity of this church. Do you understand why offering is so important? You see, it's not about turning lights on or keeping the AC on. It's about changing people's lives. Living, breathing people, completely transforming their lives such that they then have the opportunity to transform more lives. Do you understand how this works? This is why offering is very much an important part of our worship. Tish, thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. And since you're here, since I say this all the time, I'm going to let you say it. Would you help transition us into the time of offering? I'm sorry. It's such a privilege to be able to do this. Thank you so much. For the host and hostesses, please prepare to receive our tithes and offerings.
Wisconsin get a little bored down in between. Like a bull chasing the matador, it's a man left to his own schemes. And everybody needs someone beside them, shining like a lighthouse from the sea. Brother, let me be your shelter, never leave you all alone. I can be the one you call when you're low. when we gather together like this, when we gather for worship, when we experience humility, we experience gratitude, we experience unity, then we experience what it means to be the body of Christ. I hope today you have experienced the body of Christ. I hope you come back next week, and I hope you bring somebody else to the party. Have a great day.